Everyone eats out every day, but people don't think about how food arrives on the plate. This is Grounded, and I'm Lauren Mitchell. Join me as we delve deep into the challenges, expertise, and experiences of professionals and innovators in the food service industry. Grounded is powered by the Buyer's Edge Produce Division. Our mission is to provide innovative solutions and excellent service to food service operators. Hi, it's Stephanie from Fresh from the Field. Over the last few weeks, we have experienced a lot of escalated markets and some quality challenges. As we get into the warmer summer days, we suggest getting with all cold chain suppliers and processes and make sure that cold chain SOPs are strictly followed. This will help ensure quality at its best. Produce Alliance does their due diligence to make sure our growers are following the correct SOPs. We put our own teams at our growers' facilities to ensure product is being cooled properly and the logistics is being handled properly as well. Over the next few weeks, we will have some updates on the forecasting of transition. Until then, tune in to our Fresh from the Fields live updates and interviews on Twitter or Instagram. Today's guest is a senior food service supply chain executive with over 30 years of experience. His main focus is on customer service, relationship building, setting high expectations and standards. He's an alumni of Darden Restaurants, RSI, the cooperative for Burger King, and RSCS, the cooperative for Yum Brands. He's also an NRA supply chain executive study group board member and CCR supply chain committee member and Arby's foundation board member president at RCOP, the supply chain cooperative for Arby's, and pro pickleball player, David Cox. Welcome to the show. Thanks. You had to throw that in there, huh? (laughs) So just for background, I was on crutches last weekend during NRA because of a pickleball incident. So yeah, so that's actually where I want to start. I, um, you know, I got to meet you live in person last week at the Supply Chain Expert Exchange that that goes on ahead of the NRA show. Um, and, you know, I got to speaking with a few different category leaders for RCOP and um, and and they heard that I was going to be speaking with you. And I asked, well, what kind of questions would you ask David if you had him on a show like this? Out of them all, they were very clear about the culture that you've created there at RCOP. Yeah. And specifically, they said that there was, and I quote, no amount of money that they could be paid on top of what they make to leave RCOP, uh, just because of the people, the environment, and all that's by design of, of what you've done over there. So my first question is a simple one, which is talk to us about that special spirit that's there. And, and what have you specifically done in that environment where any motivated team member uh, can truly thrive? That is very humbling to hear. Uh, certainly, but it's a little bit of the difference between working for a large corporation and and being an SVP um, at a you know company department. You know the responsibility is the same, but at a co-op, you have the ability to kind of shape and and drive the culture among other things that that you get involved in, like benefit packages and and things like that. I thoroughly enjoyed the the culture at Darden and. I also took bits and pieces from other places I was at and, and I just had it in my mind. I want to create a place that I want to work for. like, you know, respect and, you know, all the things that you, that you want, but also, um, we've just got a good environment and a mix of, of 
individuals and more than anything, you know, it's, we, we've got stressful jobs. And so I've always just tried to keep it light, you know, on, on team meetings, you know, I'm kind of the wisecracker of the group, which, which, you know, kind of sets the tone, um, for the team that, yeah, we've got an issue. We've got to solve for, we've all got to dive in. We've all got to work hard and make it happen. Um, but at the same time, you know, nobody's going to die or anything. So, you know, let's, uh, let's, let's, you know, have fun. And my, and my adage is maybe not so much anymore with the onset of COVID and working from home, but, you know, there was a time there where we spent so much more time with our coworkers than we did our families or our significant others. And, and so I've just always approached it. You know, if you're not enjoying the culture and you're not enjoying what you're doing, then, you know, go somewhere else. And so I just always wanted to create a culture that people would want to be, um, part of. They mentioned a phrase and I'm pretty sure it came from you, but it was growing, growing gone. That can mean a lot of different things. Um, my, my take on that is generally most people want to grow in their, in their careers and they want to grow and they just don't want to be doing the same thing. So, so whether it's at RCOP or whether it's somewhere else, uh, growing, growing gone is, you know, you need to continue to grow as an individual, uh, whether it's in your current category or getting experiences elsewhere. And that's what I talk to the folks about a lot. Like, you know, you'll get, a, you know, you'll get folks coming to you and that, you know, that says, Hey, what do I got to do to get a promotion? Well, it's not that easy because there's so many factors into that, especially, you know, being a smaller organization, there's only so many director levels. There's only so many senior manager levels, that kind of thing. And so it's, um, you know, it's, it's, if you, if you tell them, you know, then maybe you're not really being all that truthful because I don't know what the business is going to do six months from now. I don't know if we're going to have to scale back, you know, some, some budgets. I don't know who's going to leave or not leave, you know? And, and so what we've always tried to do if, and when somebody leaves, we try to take that open position and reassess the entire team and hopefully turn that into promotion opportunities for three or four different people just based on that one move, right? As you, as you move different folks around. And so I tell them, you know, don't worry about the salary. Don't worry about, you know, your title. Don't worry about anything. Just go out there and grab as much experience as you can. Because when you do that, your resume is going to look really impressive. Uh, you're going to be more valuable to the company you're currently working for. And quite honestly, you're going to be more valuable to some other company. And so that's kind of the growing, growing gone. I, you know, I, I took um, at least three or four different lateral moves in my career because I saw an opportunity, you know, it's, I never, never dealt with packaging before and I never bought packaging before and the packaging buyer left and you know, it was the same level I was at. And so I inquired about it, you know, just so that I could learn the category. Um, was it easy? Was it, you know, did it put you in an uncomfortable position? Yeah, it does. But um, I can't say enough for garnering as much experience as you can, because then the rest of this stuff comes. Then, then the money comes, the titles, the promotions, the job opportunities. And we were standing at a little round table, you know, over the Chicago waterfront. And it was Mackenzie who's over. She said bakery and seasoning and Ray. Um, and then, you know, I've been over the fresh produce category for 
the bulk of my career, but that's that's basically supply chain at its finest. You got someone from distribution and logistics at the other end of the table there. Um, so when we talk about supply chain, we are talking about the management of goods from from end to end. And for those that are listening, you've heard the word RCOP. Okay, what is RCOP and how does it relate to Arby's? So to break it down, they, they've served as essentially the cooperative for Arby's since 1978. And, and the membership for RCOP is comprised of both franchise and company-owned restaurants. Um, and what they do is they utilize their system volume um, across all of the restaurants to negotiate with suppliers and, and distributors to uh, establish the pricing, but also ensure the continuity, continuity of the supply. Um, so together, you know, you could say they manage over 1.5 or so billion in spend for food, packaging, beverages, distribution, capital assets, small wares, energy and service programs. So David um, has been, you know, responsible for, um, you know, overseeing all of this and, and the experts within that. Um, my questions following now are kind of be, you know, more focused on supply chain, but recognizing your your expertise and just business leadership in general. So feel free to kind of answer them using both the experience lanes. Yep. Um, what key principle exists at your core to drive decision making that's been, you know, part of your success? It's really hard to just, um, you know, pin it down to one principle that exists. Um, but if I had to put one at the top, it would probably be living the golden rule each and every day. Um, you know, we are being in supply chain, we're in the relationship business. And uh, the minute you start treating business associates, uh, suppliers, distributors, uh, coworkers, whatever, not by that guiding principle, is when you're going to start, um, um, you know, running into challenges long-term. So, um, you know, I think, um, that's critical and core, um, as to, um, you know, kind of how you want to be treated, um, is how you should treat others. And I went through the Covey and the, the, the strongest one was seek first, understand before being understood. And that one stuck with me at a very early age. I mean, I've always been a, been a listener. I think, uh, I've always, you know, tried to be a listener first before I would talk and kind of assess the situation and, and figure out, um, you know, how I can add input, but, uh, that's important. There's often too many times people, um, are always thinking about their response and, and they're not fully listening to what they're responding to. Right. Um, so that's a big one. Um, you know, integrity, never compromise your integrity. Nobody can take that away from you. Um, you know, once, once you do, um, you're, you're heading down a bad path. And I mentioned it before. Um, one of my core principles is to have fun. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you, we, we work hard, we work long hours. We, we do all that. And again, if you're not enjoying yourself, um, then you should probably go find something else to do. And, and the way to do that is, is to have fun and, and, and to tease team members and to, you know, have happy hours and all those kinds of things to, to make sure that people aren't, aren't too stressed. Out. And, and the last one is really centered around communication. What I've learned through the years and more so in later years is you can pretty much tie any issue or concern or challenge back to communication. And then, you know, either that's what created the issue or, or you haven't helped uh, diffuse the issue. Um, but you know, whether, um, 
you know, it's just, you cannot over communicate. You just, you know, you just have to communicate, figure out why this topic is important, who's it important to, and then make sure that you're, um, communicating properly and timely and all those kinds of things. Yeah. So I heard a couple of things there. One, listen closely. Two, you can't over communicate. I think that's so true in this business. Communication is huge and a guiding principle. Now, um, you know, specifically when interviewing for people to come in, I, you know, how, how do you communicate and, and what is your, your nature around that? So important. Um, and then three, you know, just relationships. Um, you know, you've spoken about challenges already, but it's those relationships that we really lean into during challenges of any sort, daily, weekly, or, um, you know, within a market. So, um, you know, I, I love that golden rule as well. Take us back to when you first started with RCOP and this interesting story that I love um, and really appreciate hearing is when you went to the board and said, hey, I need an increase in the budget. And I'll guarantee you that the return on cost savings will be 10 times as much. Such a bold move. Um, you asked very simply, can you make this investment? Talk to us a little bit about what that involved and what the result was. I've been president of RCOP for 18 years. And, um, you know, I was 42 at the job when I, at the time when I took the job. And that might sound impressive, but RCOP wasn't what it was 18 years ago. It was a very small organization. Uh, we had 13 people. We had, um, we had no systems. We didn't have the right people. Um, it was really almost, even though RCOP is the first uh, supply chain cooperative in our industry, it was created in 1978. Even though RCOP had been around a very long time, it was just very much of a nuts and bolts kind of purchasing organization. And so when I walked in, um, the budget wasn't where it needed to be. Um, even close, even though they were making the investment in, in myself and they had just hired two new VPs and they were, they were starting to make the investment because the business environment had changed and we started doing, um, you know, monthly LTOs and, and from a supply chain perspective, we weren't equipped to support that. And so, um, and then at the same time, you know, being a procurement organization, you're always focused and the mindset's always on efficiency and spending less dollars. And so the board's mindset was there. And, and it was also a bit of a cultural issue with the board because they didn't want to go to the membership and say, we had to raise our fees, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And so I had all these challenges. I, I knew coming from Darden, what was possible and what we could do in, in all these other areas. I mean, we weren't we weren't supporting indirect sourcing. We weren't doing anything with logistics. We weren't managing obsolete inventory properly. We weren't doing any kind of forecasting on promotions. Um, you know, there were a lot of things that we weren't doing. And then, oh, by the way, we didn't have nearly enough resources applied against um, buying. And so I knew there was a lot of opportunity. And, and so I took, um, yeah, I just, just went to the board and I said, look, I, I know our sourcing fee is going to go up, but if we can go to the membership and say, you know, our sourcing fee is going to go up $200,000. Um, and at the time that was, you know, two buyers all in with benefits and everything. Um, I guarantee I'll bring you 2 million in savings that'll flow, you know, to the food cost line. Do you want to make that investment? And so obviously that would be an easy decision for anybody to make. And, and the board made that easy, easy decision, although, you know, the fear of the response was nothing like um, 
what the actual response was. Everybody's like, yeah, that sounds great, you know? And so, um, and then as we moved forward, every time we approached the board, we, we did it from an ROI standpoint and, um, it was just always a big part of the discussion and. You know, they're very appropriate from a board perspective on making sure that we were spending our, our budget dollars wisely. But at the same time, um, we were taking some significant dollars out of the supply chain. Um, so it was an easy decision. So, you know, the funding that was used um, over the time, you know, certainly went towards uh, staff expansion, um, but it also went towards technology. We brought on a third-party logistics, a 3PL, years ago. Um, you know, we utilize a variety of different consulting, commodity consulting uh, experts uh, to help us make those kinds of decisions. Um, so with all those, with all those expansions uh, in, in the business, um, again, it was always tied to an ROI and, and we, without exception, we were able to make that 10 to one payoff, um, usually significantly more. There, there you go. It's a call to invest in in your category managers and sourcing individuals. I just love that. And also just when approaching the board, always with an ROI standpoint, I think that's yep. very important. Okay, let's talk disruption and challenges. Um, what disruption, in your opinion, is creating the greatest opportunity in our industry today? And, you know, putting COVID aside, we all, you know, lived it and and dealt with it. And it wasn't, if you're any anywhere part of uh in, in the supply chain, um, your last couple of years has not been a lot of fun. Um, but I think, um, beyond that, um, you know, the one that is popping up frequently right now is, um, you know, cyber, cyber ransom security issues. We've had three or four that have impacted, uh, the supply chain just in the last month and a half. And. You know, it's, it's amazing. I mean, technology is a wonderful thing and it's, it's, it's moving so fast, but at the same time, um, you better have a great backup plan and you better have a repetitive system out there somewhere and you better be able to make that switch quickly or it can bring your entire supply chain to a, to a, a, a halt. Um, we've seen it with some distributors. We've seen it with suppliers. We've seen it with some internal um, um, ordering systems and payroll systems. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy. I don't, you know, I, um, that's probably what I'm worried most about right now. I mean, we, we've seen the impact we've been able to work through it all, but, um, there's going to be a time where it's going to be a big one and it's going to bring us to our knees. Yeah. I think what we're seeing too, is no one's immune from it. That's what's so scary. So, yeah. Um, okay. Well, going back to when you started your career and, and where we're at today, you, you've touched on technology for a moment there, but what specifically do you believe to be the greatest improvement specifically for the supply chain industry? Well, it's gotta be, it's gotta be technology. I mean, um, when I think about when I first started many years ago, um, you know, the lack of visibility was, was there, um, just the fact that we've we can have a peek at, you know, an instantaneous peek into where everything is at what point in the supply chain, for the most part, um, you know, the, the, the farm, to fork thing, um, not quite there all the way back to the farm and some of the produce we are, but, but, you know, not, 
necessarily in some of the other areas, but, you know, we have, you know, certainly through technology providers like Aerostream and, and some of the other things that we do, we, we have pretty good visibility and, and to be, you know, to make the best possible decisions we can in the heat of a promotion, um, you need instant, you know, you need instant data and, you know, to make that assessment and, you know, even, even when I started at RCOP, the, the distributors were faxing in inventory levels of what they had on order and, you know, things like that. <laughs> I mean, it was just, it was crazy, but, um, but that's what you did. I mean, nobody, you know, really had the, the, uh, availability to that kind of data. Um, so, um, without question, you know, technology is moving so fast that eventually we're going to, we're going to be able to you know, you know, sell a roast beef sandwich and, you know, the, uh, the farmer's gonna have another calf to support it, you know, and, and see the change in, in demand. So. I love it. Um, customer of choice. This is a term that came from you. Um, talk to me about what that means and, and how it relates to relationships with your suppliers. Yeah, you know, I I think it's it, it really goes back to kind of that golden rule philosophy. You know, how do you how do you um, how do you push it? You know, into your management of suppliers and distributors. Um, we did set it up as as part of our culture a long time ago. You know, I talked about a little bit about how our cop was kind of a, a green visor, rubber mallet mentality, and and would beat suppliers over the head. And, you know, that, that's fine. That'll work for an RFP or two, but, but at some point the supplier is going to choose not to do business with you and they, and they may not bid on an RFP or they may not aggressively bid on an RFP. So you get down the road and you really are not going to have competitive pricing when half of the supplier base, you know, won't do business with you and the, and the ones that will might not be the best suppliers. Right. So, you know, it's fostering relationships. Um, you know, it's human nature to want to work with folks that collaboratively work with you. Right. And, and, and folks that will treat you with respect. And so the philosophy has always been, you know, from a long-term perspective, eventually you're going to end up with the strongest suppliers because most everybody's going to want to do business with you. And then you can narrow it down to those suppliers. And, you know, the, the best suppliers are going to be the most efficient suppliers, which means they're going to be cost competitive. And then at the same time, they're, they're going to provide great, strong service. They're going to be a great long-term partner when, you know, when you do have issues, they're going to jump in and, and help you out. And then they're also, you know, if they're the best suppliers, they're going to provide consistent quality over time. So, um, and it takes a while, it takes a while because that, that was kind of a, a philosophy we had at Darden. And when I came to RCOP, not necessarily knowing what the culture was, it took us kind of three or four years in the industry for, for the supplier base to realize that we were, you know, walking the talk and, um, it took a long time. I, I, I didn't get it at first. I was like, well, I, I told you we're going to do this. And they didn't believe it because it was, you know, it was our cop that would, would change, um, you know, volume from year to year on a quarter of a penny, you know, because that was the most competitive RFP thing. And, and, hmm. you know, that doesn't help anybody, uh, certainly doesn't help the suppliers to not know whether they're going to have the business the following year. So it's just back to treating people right. And, and I, I will tell you that, that, 
those relationships we leaned into extremely uh, hard during COVID. Um, and I will also tell you that it, at least it, it felt like we were getting preferential treatment versus other brands as a result of it. Wow. It's so powerful. All right. So we, we deal with challenges every day here in the wild, wild west of uh, specifically fresh produce, but really supply chain in general. Can you think of a way that a problem was solved for you in, in any aspect um, that you still remember? I can think of one during COVID. We had a real challenge with our roast beef. Um, there's a, a raw material component called Hunter Visual Lean in our product that is a, you know, it's, it's 100% visual lean. So it's a very high quality lean product that was in a large percentage of our formula. And um, as a result of the lack of labor, you have to take 90s and turn it into 100s by hand trimming. Um, with the lack of labor throughout the industry, the production of 100s fell off the cliff. Um, so as a result, the, the market went way up. So the initial, um, the initial inflation that, that we've all seen and felt the last year, it hit us very early, hit us towards the end of uh, 2020 because of the labor challenges. So we quickly regrouped um, and we, um, you know, utilization with, with RCOP, with the brand, with Inspire, with um, um, product development and commercialization, QA, everybody, and really very quickly tried to, to figure out a way to, um, you know, the goal was to improve the product um, but, but create a lesser dis dependency on Hunter Visual Lean. Mm -hmm. And, and that's exactly what we did. We, we created a new formula that was preferred by the consumer. Believe me, we did extensive testing and, um, you know, at a significantly lower cost. Um, and so that's a, that's a, you know, a great example of a, of a huge challenge because, you know, it's such a big part of our menu when, when, you know, um, roast beef goes up 20, 30, 40 cents a pound. Um, that hurts us <laughs> very hard, um, because of our spend in that category. And so, um, it was great to, um, you know, collectively have a team around figuring out how to, how to, uh, reduce the cost and, and improve the product. That's so interesting. I, I was talking to Charlie on another show about how it, he had a spec with a a large shrimp and essentially through the, the supply gap, they, they had access to larger or smaller sizing and, and they essentially discovered how to fuse two of them together, which wound up being a solution, not only in the short term, but they wound up using for the long term, believe it or yeah. not. Yeah. Um, it's just fascinating the way that we can maneuver through ingredients and how, how these situations kind of force us to think outside the box, I think is always yeah. a silver lining of these challenges. Exactly right. Yeah. You know. All right. And then, you know, with the pandemic, we hear a lot about the challenges navigating. Um, and, and in specific, I, I'd love to hear more about, you know, how it impacted from your perspective, your marketing team and um, what you saw, you know, from beginning to end at the start there, um, what it looked like versus what, how they had been experienced to doing their jobs and, and, you know, how you guys navigated the pandemic from there. Yeah, it was interesting. So our sales were up um, a significant amount. So it, it, even with, you know, running out of some products here or there uh, that, that 
you know, most likely impacted sales to a certain degree. But I will tell you before COVID, I think there were two instances where, you know, in the previous 15 years where we had to go to our, we had to go to marketing and say, we got to change the marketing calendar because I can't support, mm. you know, one of them was Turkey because of bird flu in 2014. And, you know, so it was an unusual circumstance, but usually when you only have, you know, maybe a problem here or there at a time, there was always a solution. You know, somebody else always had capacity or somebody else, you know, you had, you had availability somewhere and you, you know, you, you had a team that could quickly create an option that would support the marketing calendar. Then, then when COVID hit, you know, obviously nobody had capacity. We had uh, multiple issues every single week. Um, and, and just about on a weekly basis, I would go to I'd go to marketing and say, nope, you can't promote roast beef in the next four weeks. It's it just that extra 10% will kill us, you know, kind of thing. And so um, we literally had to go to marketing a hundred times in, in two years and say, and change the marketing calendar because we couldn't support it, which is just a crazy foreign idea um, for sure. And then it kind of turned at one point and it turned into more questions like, well, what can we promote, you know? And, <laughs> and, and sometimes I would say, I, we got nothing, you know, we're just going to have to, you know, we were still up in sales. So the pressure wasn't, you know, drastic or horrible, but, um, it was, it was like, um, the universe had, had twisted, you know, because, and it's funny because when I go back to, when I go back to Darden, when I got to Darden, um, was in the mid nineties and they were really starting to, they had gotten big at that point and, and had, um, just become public and all that. And so, but there was an old mindset in the procurement group that back in the eighties, when they were growing so fast, they would just go out and buy like seafood in Asia and come back and tell marketing, okay, you can you know, you got to come up with a shrimp promotion because we just bought 10 million pounds. So it was, <laughs> it, was it was a weird, uh, a weird time, you know, um, that purchasing was kind of controlling, controlling the uh, marketing calendar. And, and so we had to early on in my tenure at Darden, we had to kind of change that philosophy and help them understand that, you know, supply chain is a support function to the brand and the support function to the marketing calendar. And you, you know, you, you've got to go figure out what they want to do. And, and that's the way it's always been until, you know, summer of 2020 when it reversed again. And, and, um, I kept having to walk into the CMO's office with, with my tail between my legs. So. <laughs> yeah. We talk a lot about just the relationship between marketing, um, and sourcing and just not getting too far above our skis or yeah. Having to walk back in with your tail between just, just trying to make sure the balance is always there. Yeah, I mean, you know, we are, I mean, we're a support function. We're, we're an operations group and you know, we're not there. I mean, we're there to support sales, you know, and, and to be able to, or to have to go in and, and have any negative impact on sales is, isn't uh, where anybody wants to be. All right. Well, I knew this conversation would go fast and we're starting to wind down here, but I've got a few, a few final questions. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're winding down your career. What are you looking to do next? What excites you about the future? Um, you know, will you stay close to 
supply chain and in what way? No, I don't exactly know uh, um, what it's going to end up looking like, but here's, here's my plan right now. Um, I'm going to stay very, very connected with the NRA um, supply chain executive or expert exchange, I think we call it now. Um, you know, I've been on the board since the inception when, when David Parsley and a couple others of us got together and started working with Don Sweeney at the NRA to, to bring the, the study group back together. And, and it's been great. It is truly the only a conference in our industry that's, that's solely focused on supply chain and, and provides a network opportunity for, for all of us. And for me, selfishly, it was, um, it was extremely valuable because at some point in time, um, during the RCOP journey, I had, you know, we had pretty much done, uh, everything we knew how to do. And now we're sitting around looking at each other going, well, what's next, you know, how are we going to get better? And, and so I've been able to utilize that group to, um, really, you know, just pick up the phone at any time and say, Hey, Eve, Hey, Charlie, you know, uh, what are you guys doing about you know, or, or mm. here's what I'm thinking, you know, um, what's going on in a certain industry, you know, what are your thoughts? And so it's been great. I, I know all my counterparts very well in the industry. And so, um, um, part of me, I just can't let that go. Uh, these folks are, are great friends and, and associates over the years. And, you know, it's such a great industry. I, I, um, I want to stay involved. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to continue to stay on the board, uh, more in an advisory capacity. And then, you know, I do plan to do some advising um, and not necessarily consulting. That sounds like um, way too much work, but, um, <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, my goal is to kind of stay busy in the industry for about 30 or 40% of my time. And then the other part, you know, just doing retirement stuff and travel and golf and what have you. Yeah. So what Dave has just spoken about, I mean, it is very special relationships in that room with the National Restaurant Association. If any of you listening are curious to learn more, I mean, even from a sponsorship perspective and then to be on the board as a sponsor or an operator, um, reach out to Christy Kingry. That's kkingry at tropicalsmoothie.com. She is the um president of the board and um, just a phenomenal human being as it is. Um, but that's, it's really a great opportunity to um, gather. I mean, I, I sat at a round table with a gentleman from Payway and then of course, Jeff from Aerostream and a few other individuals. So you've got category leads, VPs of supply chain data, and we're all problem solving around compensation structure, how to infuse equity and inclusion into into your workspace. I mean, these are really interesting topics to roundtable. Um, and then they meet in a larger format, you know, twice a year ahead of the uh, conference. So it's just, a, it's a great group. How about, what do you believe to be the greatest need in our industry today? For years, it was recognition of how important supply chain is um, to any business. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think we have to um, tote that message anymore, I think. COVID uh, made it very clear to everybody that of how important it is. You know, I, I think um, even in the last five, 10 years, you know, finally um, supply chain had a, had a table in uh, or an office in the C-suite and uh, which has come a long way from, from years ago, but um, boy, 
I think it's, I think it's really around collaboration around technology. Um, you know, whether it's, it's GS1, I mean, our industry from a technology standpoint, when you compare it against retail or you compare it against other industries, um, you know, we're living in the seventies with, with some of this stuff and, and there's, and there's just always been a hesitancy to collaborate and really make things happen more from the perspective of what's best for the industry, as opposed to what's best for me as a distributor, what's best for me as an operator, what's best for me as a supplier. Um, you know, we've, we've, we've just got to put all that aside and figure out what's best for the industry because ultimately that'll be best for all of us. Um, and I've seen that through the years and it's been the issue from day one and it really hasn't changed all that much, you know, uh, unfortunately. All right. So here's a few rapid fire questions. Um, what we love to ask at the end of the show and spirit of our, of our title grounded, what's a daily habit besides having fun that helps keep you grounded? I usually hit the pool, um, swim laps, um, probably most days and it gives me energy for the day, but it also, you know, clears, you know, clears my head. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, people who have good ideas in the shower when you're just kind of there <laughs> and swimming laps, you're, you know, your mind drifts and you think about a lot of things. And what I do need to do is I need to embed some kind of a notepad that works in the water because <laughs> I'll have great ideas in the pool and I'll get out of the pool and I'm like, what did, I know I was thinking of a great idea and I can't remember, um, <laughs> but it's my peaceful, quiet time. And oh, by the way, you're exercising and trying to be healthy. So that's good. You know, I share the same, except for me, it's not swimming laps. It's running down a trail. I mean, it's where I, where I can best think I get kind of in a meditative pace and, um, but you know, I carry a vest with me so that I can carry my phone in my pocket because I do get ideas frequently or a, a solution yeah. to a problem. But the problem is, is I'm stubborn and I won't stop to write the note down. I try and just do it as I continue my run. So I'll come back home and read my notes app and there's letters where there's not so that I can barely articulate it sometimes. I'm like, if I would just hit pause on my watch and throw down right. the note. Okay. How about a, a strategy that you use in your workday that saves you the most time? I think just staying organized and, and focused on key priorities. Um, you know, I have some kind of method, whether, whether it's, you know, Microsoft notes or, or something, but you know, you have to, you have to stay focused on the key priorities. That's going to make the business better, um, more efficient, you know, whatever the case is that the challenge is, this is it especially been true in the last two years is you get sucked into the day to day and then you go down this day to day rabbit hole of challenges and you're solving for and you're making things happen and all that other stuff gets pushed to the side for periods of time. And so, you know, just carving out time to really focus on what's important, you know, key priorities to keep that going. Um, cause if you keep, Theoretically, it's going to make your day-to-day -day easier or better, right? And so if you just keep pushing that kind of stuff down the road, the day-to-day -day is just going to consume you. How about to the next generation of supply chain or procurement professionals? What's your best secret that you're willing to share? Well, I'll touch on, you know, the grown, grown, gone concept. Um, you know, just keep grabbing experience. That's, that's a big one. Never stop learning. 
uh, especially in today's world of technology that's moving so fast. And maybe the third thing is, is change, you know, change is going to happen whether you like it or not. And, and generally people don't like change. Um, but you'll have a choice if things are going to change. So you might as well embrace it and go with it and, and, um, figure out how you're going to adapt to it. How about mentors? Who's been a mentor for you and in what way? Oh, I would say I have a number, but I'll call out Barry Millette. Um, Barry, um, hired me at back in the day, um, at the KFC, a co-op and I was in finance at the time and looking to get out. And, and so he kind of, you know, early on, he took me under his wing and, and taught me commodity analysis and hedging and, and, you know, with my financial background, um, it was a good fit. Um, and I wanted to get more on the operations side. So, so, you know, he gave me a shot and then, um, I also worked for him at RSI. He went to RSI and told me he was going to get me to move to Miami. And I told him I wasn't moving to Miami. And then four months later, I was moving to Miami. But, um, you know, he, he was very good at pushing me into roles that I didn't think I was ready for. You know, he, he knew I would eventually figure it out, but um, I was very uncomfortable with it because in my mind, I didn't think I was ready for that, you know, next level or that role. And, and what it taught me and what I, what, what stuck with me was, you know, just developing, you know, the confidence in myself, um, to really, you know, go push myself to do more than what I originally had back when I was 25, you know? How about Mary Jo? What role did she have in your career? So my wife, Mary Jo, is an engineer and an MBA, and I got to phrase this right, has not worked outside the home since our 32-year-old was one. She's a big part of the success that I've had in my career because she managed the house and I managed the career, you know, and, and I never envisioned that she allowed me to solely focus on, on a career and when the weekends came around, you know, we didn't have to run errands. We didn't have to go grocery shopping or pick up the dry cleaning. She had all that done and we could actually have some good family time on the weekends, you know? So, so that was great. And then, um, and then she, um, our youngest was 17 in high school and he was getting ready to go away to college. And I told her she either needed to find a hobby or a job. Otherwise she's going to drive us both nuts. And so I bought her a, she used to do some photography. The boys played a lot of travel sports and stuff. And, and so she did, you know, photography for that. And, and she was like a creative memories consultant and did scrapbooking and, and what have you. But, um, so I bought her this Groupon coupon for a photography class. I was like, well, you should get into photography, you know? Well, that was the worst Groupon in the history of mankind, because it has cost me so much money. Um, so she's taken her, she's taken this uh, rather seriously. Um, she has become a wildlife photographer. We travel oh, cool. the world, um, take, you know, mostly bears, but, um, grizzlies and polar bears. We're going to see polar bears again in June, uh, north of Norway. Um, you know, we've done. Uh, gorillas in Uganda, 
and tigers in India. And it, it's been, it's been quite, quite the ride. It's, it's, it's fun for me because I'll do any of them once. I don't need to do them twice, but you know, to have <laughs> the experience, to have the experience of an animal like that in their natural habitat and the power of, of an animal like that is, it, it's a rush. It's, it's crazy. But so, yeah, she's, uh, she's been very actively involved. Um, in that she sells some stuff, but it, you know, at some point my accountant's going to, you know, he's, he told me at some point the IRS is going to come to us and say, this is not a business. It's a hobby. Knock off all these deductions. Okay. Last question. Yeah. Staple produce item for a burger. I don't know. Can I say pickles? I mean, it starts as everyone a says pickles. Everyone I says got, pickles. I gotta have pickles on a burger. I, you know, my, my burger build is, is cheese, ketchup, raw onion extra pickles, uh, maybe some leaf lettuce, and um, occasionally a fried egg. Oh, my gosh. I'm telling you, I have had, I think, 12 guests interviewed now, and I'd say I have a 90% uh, hit rate with pickles, and it's been a new ad in my burger life because now it's always said that way. Oh, I can't live without them. I'm like, well, geez. So now I'm on this pickle cake. There's a lot of different things you can do with pickles and different seasoning so it can take it many different directions yeah awesome well david i you are as everyone says a legend um and i can see i mean just great conversation and and you've there's so much to learn from you so i really appreciate you giving me the time where can people find you if they've got a question or perhaps something that's come up as a result of our conversation they want to learn more about yeah absolutely um so i'm going to have a new work. Um, I guess people can't see me do quotes with my fingers on the podcast. <laughs> um, I'm going to have a new work email. It's uh, cox, C-O-X dot David dot D at iCloud.com. Um, and certainly feel free to reach out. Um, like I said, I'm going to stay active and involved and, and have some fun and really so looking forward to it for sure. We'll make sure to include your email in the show notes. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Lauren. Appreciate it. Thank you guys for listening. If you learned something today or laughed, please tell someone about this podcast, Grounded. It's been another exciting episode and I will see you soon. And that wraps up another episode. We have covered a lot of ground today. Thank you for joining for show notes and our most updated market report, visit us at groundedthepod.com. Grounded is powered by the Buyer's Edge Produce Division. Our mission is to provide innovative solutions and excellent service to food service operators by leveraging technology, talent, and an insatiable appetite to improve.